0: They don't see their internal uh, customers as customers with a choice. When they do go and do that end around and deploy their own solution, whether by themselves or because they've been tempted by an agency to do it, um, they get beat over the head and say, no, 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 you got to use our system. And it it doesn't work. The, The customers flee. The analytics team goes out of business. And, and really, the solve for it is thinking like an entrepreneur, like you're running a business within your organization. Your internal customers have a choice whether to use your data or not. Welcome to
1: 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. All right, and we're back in the studio again and dude, I got to knock the rust off. It's uh it's been like 5 weeks since we recorded anything. Has it? Yeah, it has. Like uh, that's uh, out on paternity leave. Um you know, we, we toward the end there we were we were trying to like record multiple episodes a week just so we would have a catalog of new stuff while I was out and just we ran out of time, things came up, so we were able to get some new episodes out while I was out, but I did uh, jump back into the archives a bit to try to find some of our, our good ones to reshare for for any new listeners
0: yeah it's been a minute it and has, uh i've got i've got a noisy studio more than normal so do you, do you remember the the rubber ball from uh, elementary school like the playground kickball rubber ball oh yeah
1: i could still hear that thing
0: yeah so my, my eight-year-old has discovered the rubber ball, and he's decided that the indoors is the great place for it, because he can bounce it off all the walls and stuff, and it gets the dog riled up, because the dog wants to chase the ball, and so there's balls bouncing all over, the dog chasing it, the eight-year-old's running down the hall. So it's fairly noisy right now. So. Uh, hey,
1: but hey, listen, it's also the day before Thanksgiving.
0: That's right. Um, so we got a lot of things going with us.
1: So yeah, like I'm back in the saddle again after um, taking a month off. Um, I know it, it's it's unheard of in most places, but yeah, it took a month off for some paternity leave. So again, I'll just say, you know, I appreciate the, the time off and, and everything because our daughter was born. So uh, a happy, healthy baby girl. Um, but I'm sleep deprived.
0: So you're <laughs>
1: going to get rambly,
0: Jim, today. You're, 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 you're sleep deprived, but you look good because I think you went to the barber to get a beard line up.
1: I, no I did it all myself I was trimming shut it.
0: up not kidding so Dude, for the first that's like, that's some skill then because it
1: looks good well thank you I
0: appreciate it so yeah,
1: yeah it was I'd been going with the goatee for a while and I shaved up for like yeah you know, the, the uh newborn photo shoot that we had done and then I just with everything going on I just stopped shaving and I was letting it grow in and I'm like you know, let, let's see what happens when I hey, actually I, really I, let the beard I'm... grow so the I went in and did the little trim here. Now yeah. it's
0: all lined up. It's all here. You lined, you kind of trimmed here. Look, looks good. Thanks,
1: thanks. Yeah. So I'm gonna go with uh, with the beard for a while and just see how it looks.
0: Approved. <laughs> Approved. So what's your uh, your world? Oh, no. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say uh, you usually have um usually have your big turkey bowl. You you still
1: no nah, we're not a family's not doing it this year no. The a couple cousins who run it um just things came up and they weren't able to to get it together this year and um yeah like i you know one, one of my cousins got married last year so he's got that this year the other one's got work so they weren't able to to pull together this year and to be honest with you i'm i'm okay with that yeah uh, because i probably wasn't going to go anyway with a baby who is not even a month old yet. Um, I'll tell you this, um, talking with folks, uh, RSV seems to be raging this year with a lot of newborns and toddlers. Um, My sister's two children, they're they're twins, they're five months old. They spent the week in the hospital last week with it. And my nephew, he was really, really bad. Um, And then my cousin's son, who's about six months old, had a really big case of it. I know several other people. So I was like, I'm probably going to avoid large group family settings like that for for a little while. Just until she's a little bit older. Um, because it is. It's just this, this one thing that, like, what seems like a simple cold for a four or five year old
0: yeah. wrecks, you know, an infant. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've had influenza A running through the house and it's been brutal. Like two to three week lingering on not not fun so anyway
1: probably smart yeah so i I wasn't gonna go this year but hopefully next year they'll they'll have that back but uh but yeah just um just ready for you know thanksgiving and and i'll be honest with you i kind of planned this week coming back strategically (laughs) um to kind of come back you know in a week when things are going a little quiet just to get my feet under me and it's actually been busier than i thought there Yeah, yeah we've got a lot going on there's just a lot going on in the industry and so but you know with the time off and even with the sleep deprivation i'm ready to to get back at it
0: awesome well let's do it
1: yeah so let's just dive right into the episode i was trying to find a good um pivot and good segue into it um but one of the things I want to talk about over the next couple of weeks is a theme I've labeled, you know, the entrepreneur lifestyle or, you know, as well as building your analytics practice as, as a business. So this episode, and again, like I think rambling Jim is actually going to do great for this episode because there's a central theme running through this and uh, you know, but there's two kind of ideas that came to this topic. So one, we've been beating to death for the last several months. And even while I was out, you sent me a couple messages from folks that reached out to you basically about us talking about how analytics teams are realizing in many ways, realizing the hard way that it's no longer just good enough to check boxes. You, know, you need to actually show value. You can't just sit there and just get work done. You can't just say we did work. You actually have to show value for the business highlight the value to the, to stakeholders, actually sell yourself to the business. Um, And like just analytics being a cost center is no longer acceptable. Like, and you and I've talked about like analytics practices, almost like the, 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 the analytics director treating that analytic practice like a business, looking at the value that it's driving for the business as you know, uh, to offset the cost of running that, that organization. But then there's the other thread with this is, and you've been really, really, really pointing this out on social media, is this hustle and entrepreneur hype that you see on social media platforms like LinkedIn and Instagram. You know, it doesn't take much to find a post that's like, look how much I made in my first year or a post that's like, here are five easy steps to be your own boss, and as you've highlighted, I'm not going to steal your thunder. I'll let you dive into it. But it's dangerous because it oversimplifies what it means to own and run a business. But it also sets a precedent that you can only explore your appetite for being an entrepreneur by quitting your job and starting your own business. You can't maybe find ways to explore it within the company that you work for. In this case, if you're an analytics director, you know treating your team, your analytics practice as a business within the business. Um. So one, tell me a bit more about like kind of like the, the hustle and entrepreneur hype that you've been seeing and why you think it's dangerous, but then also pivoting that into what does it mean to run an analytics practice like a business?
0: Yeah, and I love the topic. Um, and yes, if you follow me on social media, especially LinkedIn, I've been pretty vocal about calling this out um, because I think it's... It's dangerous and it's often self-serving. You know, a lot of these posts that that you referenced, Jim, are um, really trying to sell you something, like coaching services or buy my ebook on how to start up a you know dropshipping business. They're trying to sell you something, Um, but but they are talking to this desire for people that want to kind of run their own thing. But not everyone wants to build their own business, and that's perfectly okay. Um, And there's lots of options to kind of run a business and do your own thing as, as part of a business and i think that's a completely valid and and really noble path to to go down um, but we have to go down it whether we're doing it with within a company an existing organization or, or going out on our own and building something from scratch it's incredibly difficult it takes a lot of work and dedication and you know most days are just trying to put one foot in front of the other but when we see these these narratives on LinkedIn or we see these like photos of entrepreneurial life on Instagram, it's selling a false narrative that, oh, you just kind of walk out on your own and just start selling something. And all of a sudden you're flying around on pri- private jets and you're you know lounging at these high-end VIP clubs. It just doesn't work that way. Um, I mean, it hasn't for me. Maybe I'm the outlier that hasn't figured it out and I'm the one loser that is struggling. But... It's really, really hard, you know? You don't just show up and say, now I'm an entrepreneur and all of a sudden all this money and fame starts flowing in. It just, that's not what it looks like. And I think it just sets a false expectation that it's a lot of work. It's incredibly rewarding. It can produce a tremendous amount of value, but you have to be deliberate about what you're building and put in the work. You know, it's there, there are very few get-rich-quick schemes and the ones that are out there are probably illegal or not sustainable so yeah
1: well i mean and that that's the thing is like you can in many ways look at this hustle and entrepreneur hype or even this hustle and entrepreneur porn um as a bit of a a get rich quick scheme because like the, the old adage of um if it seems too good to be true it probably is and that that's the thing it's the these these people that I see, it's like there is no way that everybody's able to do this. I mean, you're going to find that one outlier that maybe gets into being an Instagram influencer early. Um, they've maybe made several million dollars because they were early with it. But these days, you know, trying to like, oh, just become an Instagram influencer and you'll make a ton of cash. At this point, it feels like Instagram is um, oversaturated with the influencers. Um, and I mean, prove me wrong, but like, is there the, and we're talking, when we talk about the hype, let me take a quick side, uh, side tangent here. When we talk about the hype, we're talking about the people that are standing next to the Lamborghini, you know, look what I just went out and bought with cash or yeah. they're in a, um, luxury suite, um, overlooking the strip. And it's like, yeah, I just decided to come down here for the weekend. Mm-hmm. most of those photos are staged um how many times do you hear about the person that posts that picture with the high-end sports car they've rented it for a couple of hours yep and they took pictures like yep. there's <laughs> th- there is a level of fakery and it's almost along the lines of what we've seen with food commercials you and i've talked about it so many times yeah, in the past. Yeah, yeah. we've shared the links to youtube where how they actually staged the food you know the pizza and you know they're pulling it away and it looks like a cheese but it's it's glue. It's Elmer's glue. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's where... It, what it does is... It, it hits people in this desire to want to get out of the rat race. And what you're missing is is either there's a lot of stage going on and yeah. maybe they do work for themselves but they don't live quite the luxury life that they, uh, that they project. Or... Um, you know, they're just trying to sell you on something and they're not making their money elsewhere. They're making their money off of you. They're trying to find a few suckers. Yeah,
0: yeah. And and that's absolutely what's happening. So don't fall into that trap. And we'll talk about a way that you can fulfill that need without falling into that trap of, of being someone else's sucker. Because what they're selling is you buying into their network, not you kind of doing your own thing. Um, and through this kind of fake lifestyle, it, it it's sad how many people it pulls in. Um, several years ago, like, I don't know why I was so fascinated with it, but there was an MLM um, that sold roadside service, kind of like AAA uh, type of thing, um, but nobody was selling the services. What they were buying into was like the upline or the downline or whatever. and and in order to get into it you have to buy the services. So it's you know like most MLMs like you're buying the product and then you're adding more people to your network who are buying the product and it's you know it's a classic pyramid scheme. But what ended up happening is it got exposed that this this one segment was super popular on YouTube with proof videos. And it's exactly what you said they rented an Airbnb and they prated it as their home. They went to Vegas where you can get the high-end sports cars as like a day experience. And yeah, they John and I it, joked about doing that. <laughs> right. Point. They drove yeah. it around and took Instagram and TikTok videos like, this is my car. This is my lifestyle. But it was all like something just any of us can go do for a day. Um, they would take pictures of their bank account with these huge transactions, which were probably happening. But it was a one-time thing, like a cherry pick one good day or one good week out of 52 weeks that sucked. Right. And so we just have to be super, super careful because these these people are are charlatans. You know, they're they're preying on people um, to buy into this fake lifestyle because we do we want we want to build. We want to create again, whether we do it for ourselves or as part of an organization, we we all, I think, instinctively have that desire to want to to create something and call the shots a bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, and, and that's where it preys upon the glamour of it, or at least the perceived glamour of it, that, oh, I just a couple hours of work a week and I can, you know, just be, you know, work from an island somewhere right, in the Caribbean. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. I, I can I can be in Baja surfing and I just pull up my phone, do a couple things, and get back to it. Uh, but re- real quick, did, did you ever see the, um, the LaRoe documentary on Amazon? Speaking no. of MLMs, oh, you got to go. Really? You got to go watch it. Okay. Um, we, I, we watched it when when it came out. And and at first, I was like, all right, we'll sit and watch it. But then I got hooked because they got into is it. A, a, is
0: it like a miniseries?
1: Yeah, it's like a five-episode miniseries. Okay. okay. And um, it gets really into the nitty-gritty. And you want to talk about buying into the downline. A couple of the people they interviewed were those people that got in early and – were able to make the money because they were selling everybody else, and they fully admitted they knew that by a certain point, no one was going to make the money they made. Yeah, there was no yeah. way they could do it. So, you know, you want to talk about like selling send me people. the send me the link
0: to that, that.
1: Yeah, I'll send you the link to it. Okay, it's good. But let, let, let's pivot to to analytics now because yeah. like because this is something we can talk about like there's the I wanted to start with that in many ways because like there's the phony feeling of being an entrepreneur the the phoniness to it or at least the the hype and the the fake image people put up Uh, but then there's like the real desire to want to go out and provide a new service provide a product um, that people want to buy Um, and you know some people like they have that desire but maybe they're just feeling a little too scared to kind of make the jump, but maybe they can find ways within their own organization and kind of take those steps of feeling what it is like to run a business. So when you talk about running an analytics practice as a business, what are you, what do you mean? Like, what are some of the key aspects to doing that?
0: Um, So I'll start by taking a step back where I first got this idea, because I think, you know, this is definitely not my idea. It's, it's something that I've worked on refining, but the initial seed for this was planted by my boss, Paul, um, Paul Bartholomew, who was my boss at one point in time, uh, my first job out of, out of college. And I may have even referenced this on a previous podcast. I know I've talked about it a bit on LinkedIn. Um, but I worked internally, um, for an organization in the IT team. We built software that supported our sales and marketing teams that were out in the field. Um, and, um, I I think I clearly remember the day uh, we were complaining because our internet speed was incredibly low. It was like brutally slow. And I I can't remember one of the, one of the team members went to Paul and was just like, dude, like we cannot work like this. And he's like, yeah, I had the network throttled down. (laughs) We're like, what? We're Like we're trying to do a job here. He's like, but you have customers out in the field that this is the network bandwidth that they have. And I want you to feel like what it feels like for them when they're using our software because they're our customers. And if we think that they're just going to use our software because they have no other choice because we're an internal team, we're all going to fail. We have to think of our internal customers as customers that have a choice. And, you know, this is just one little thing I want you to feel right now so you can better get a sense of who our customers are. Empathize with their office setups that aren't quite you know, where our office setup is, because they do have a choice. And, and that, that moment really, really stuck with me. Um, and, and he kind of further went on to talk about the importance of running an IT team, like a business that our customers have a choice because so many IT organizations are run the exact opposite you know we're not a business we're an internal organization you have no choice but to do what we say i like have you ever interacted with an it team to get credentials for like single sign on or vpn access it is brutal right it's up like there with the dmv if we if people had any other choice we would not deal with them but they don't have to think about the experience because we they have to use our services they have no other choice and and paul Just like said the dmv yeah and paul said i don't buy into that and, and it, in fact, it's true for so many organizations is we, they do have a choice. And, I, and we've seen this in analytics. We've seen that analytics teams operate like internal IT teams, Say you have no other choice but to use our services because we're internal. And you know what happens? People go out and install their own Google Analytics implementation, or they get an implementation of Content Square or some other. They, they do it themselves, right? Because it's like they're getting a bad product and a bad experience. And they do have a choice. Whether it's the right choice or not for the organization, they're going to make their choice. And so the message that Paul delivered was, look, we have to run like a business. And that means we have to market to, to our customers. It means we have to sell to them. It means we have to be concerned about customer satisfaction. It means we have to think about renewability and you know being able to expand with our customers. And it was just such a life-changing moment for Paul to deliver that message and have it so, again, so tangible with like throttling down our network speed to kind of feel that. I'll never forget that moment. And when I left Omniture to take the analytics manager role at Spark Networks, it's one of the things I did very, very early on. Um, I made friends with one of the graphic designers. I had him create a logo for for our internal practice. I, I set up a, a newsletter campaign where I you know I, I, I asked people to sign up for the newsletter where I can provide them tips and tricks. And I did all sorts of things to sell the brand of analytics within Spart Networks, knowing that everyone in that company had a choice to whether to use the services that my team was providing or not. Um, And it wasn't perfect, but I think it made such a fundamental difference in in how we operated that we looked at everyone that consumed data from that practice as having a choice and we wanted them to choose us because we felt that we were provide the best data and the best experience for for those customers. Um, And it's such an incredible way, I think, to view running, not just an analytics practice, any kind of internal practice where your customers are internal facing employees.
1: Yeah, a couple of thoughts come to mind as you're talking there. Yeah, you know, talk about like people kind of doing an end around and installing their own stuff. Like that is the most common thing we see happen. Yeah, um, third party agencies are notorious for doing this. Yeah, just put this ad container tag on the site because we're going to need it to run this and this type of ad service. But at the same time, they're also secretly deploying Google Analytics or something else to to bring in data. Um, but the other thing, too, and you bring up the idea uh, – well, r- actually, I started to lose my train of thought there. I mean, <laughs> it's rambling, dangerous. Rambling, Jim. Yeah, but it's that that's dangerous in a couple different ways because, one, now you have multiple sets of data that multiple people own. They're never going to line up. So then it's yeah. the which one's right, which one's wrong. And you're then going to spend cycles fighting why – your data's right while theirs is wrong and what should be used for this and what should be used for that instead of actually providing um, insights. But then the other thing, which is the more obvious piece, is the then you know you actually just get replaced. People come along and say, well, they're difficult to work with or we don't like being able to get what we need from them. We have our own thing. We don't need them anymore. We mm-hmm. can replace them. You know what? The things that they do bring over to our team. Our team will now own this Going forward. But yeah. Then,
0: and, oh, go ahead. Yeah, your, no, go. no, no. Fin- okay. So, um, yeah. And, and that's right. And, and so you start to have bifurcation of the teams. You have breakdown of trust in the data. Um, and oftentimes analytics teams make this work by trying to solve the problem with the club. And by that I mean they go in there with force saying you have to use what we're doing because we're the system of record and we're internal and this is the system and you're going to do it whether you like it or not, doesn't solve anything. <laughs> it just further, um, further amplifies the issue. The, the solution really is looking at it like a business because you wouldn't run a business that way. Your customers are not going to put up with it. They're going to go buy elsewhere and your business is going to go under. And we've seen that happen to analytics teams. They don't see their internal uh, customers as customers with a choice. When they do go and do that end around and deploy their own solution, whether by themselves or because they've been tempted by an agency to do it, um, they get beat over the head and say, no, 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 you got to use our system. And it it doesn't work. The, The customers flee. The analytics team goes out of business. And, and really, the solve for it is thinking like an entrepreneur, like you're running a business within your organization. Your internal customers have a choice whether to use your data or not, whether to use your insights or not, whether to use your analysis and recommendations or not. And if you're not treat them, treating them like customers that have a choice, you're going to, as you pointed out, Jim, spend so much of your time fighting that battle of distrust in your data because they're running other systems now we have multiple systems and now all of a sudden you know what happens a lot of times these these end around systems become become so big and unmanageable what happens they get dumped on the analytics team and say okay here's another system for you to run and manage now and it's like what is happening here yeah um and so the
1: other thing i want to dig into is there you keep using the word choice you know making the your internal clients want to choose you What's one of the things that happens when you choose to buy a product, when you choose to use a service, not being forced upon it's, you know, again, you know, using your analogy, like the club comes out, you have to use it, or this is the only thing we have in the organization.
0: When you choose to use something, what happens? When you choose to use something and you're happy with the product and the way it performs, um, you become a huge supporter and advocate for it you value it you value it you want to maintain it and keep it working well you want to support it you want to see it keep going there's so many positives that come out of that when you're forced to use something when you're forced to do something even if it's something really great or nice that that act of being forced it just doesn't have the same value you kind of begrudgingly accept it Um, but you don't value it the same way that you would value something that you have a choice to buy yeah. And that's where I want to dig into is the value, because
1: there have been a few situations I've seen over the last 18 months to two years where the analytics team wasn't valued. And it took a couple different shapes. One being that they were just seen as some like low level reporting service. We request a report, you provide it. Like they're not seen and valued in that they can help interpret the data, they can provide recommendations on how better to source the data, all of those things, providing deeper insights to the organization on what's going on. There, there was no value seen there, so they were just seen as some basic report, uh, you know, um, report generators. The other thing too is is when they're not valued, they're quickly cut or their budgets are cut, or they're just cut entirely. And that's what we saw at the pandemic. I I will continue to hammer this home because it's something that I don't see changing any time soon. Those teams that were not valued at the start of 2020, they were the first cut and their budgets, their staffing, the, the size of the team, the tools allocated to the team still have not recovered almost four years later because they were seen as an extra service the company
0: provided, um, they were not valued. Yeah, no, it, and, and it's again, I think it's such a, a perfect metaphor for running your internal program like a business because had we been running those programs like a business, we would be asking those questions. We would be surveying our customers, finding out their level of satisfaction. Are they happy with what they're getting? But we weren't we were just assuming they had to use our product because we were internal they had no other choice and then the rug kind of got pulled out from under us and then we were shocked we're like wait a minute why is this happening it's like we had no clue we had no pulse on the overall satisfaction of our customers we were so busy fulfilling requests for reports or data that we didn't slow down to ask tough questions say are we providing value are our customers happy uh-oh, a pandemic is coming up. How is this going to impact our business? How are we going to protect our business to make sure we're able to continue to provide value to our customers? We didn't ask those questions because we didn't think of our practice as a business. We thought about it. We thought of it as a service that was provided that our customers had no choice but to consume. And the business told us otherwise. They said they do have a choice and we're not. they're not choosing you. And that hurt. That hurt mm-hmm. to see that choice. But a good learning opportunity.
1: Yeah, So like going back to your example from your first job and Paul Bartholomew thought throttling the network so you could get a feel for what the, your customers were going to experience and that the work you were doing was, um, you know, tied to what they would experience. What are some ways an analytics director, um, can, um, create this feeling that internal stakeholders, are making a choice to use the service. They're not feeling forced that, yes, we want to come work with this team. What are some ways that they can do that with their stakeholders, but then also push down onto their team that we want them to feel like they're choosing to come use us?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, again, I think the first step to do it is to to, to accept that that is the reality that our customers do have a choice. I think we then have to think about how we brand and market our products um we have to think of how we uh, productize our services um again like so much of what happens with analytics teams is we become so reactionary because we have no identity as a as a business within the business um and so i think just taking a step back and saying how would we want to structure our organization not just not from a team and a role perspective but what does the team look like externally? How do we create a brand around it? How do we productize our services so that that people in the organization can come to us and purchase a product rather than everything being this one-off request that we're running around trying to fulfill? Um, how can we create marketing and branding and a storefront around that so people can come in and self-serve? And whether that's insights or analysis or documentation or here's how things work, everything needs to revolve around kind of this... Um, it's the concept of a store, of a storefront. Like it's got a front, it's got it's got products inside of it, it's got people inside that can help you find what you you need. Um, you know, that's how I would recommend people start looking at their analytics teams. That's how I thought about it when I was when I was client side, and that's how I continue to think about it today. As I see so many analytics teams struggle with their identity and purpose for why they exist as a team. Um, And so, you know, you talk about how can we do that? I think the first steps, again, we have to admit that our internal customers have a choice. Second, we have to start thinking of that choice as us building and providing a product that the organization can come and purchase from us. And then third, we have to think about ways where we can continually market that throughout the organization. You know, if people don't know we exist, how can they buy from us? So we have to go out and sell our services. Um, and then finally, we have to think about the satisfaction of our customers, just like any other business. You know, it's not just we fulfilled a request or we built a dashboard or we sent out a report. We have to follow up. Did you get what you need? Did it answer your questions? What can we do better next time? You know, any everything that a business would do to ensure long-term survivability and health from a financial standpoint, we should be thinking about that internally. And that should feel really, really empowering to teams. I can... I, I, I guess some people may be listening to us like, Jason, are you crazy? Like We're so overwhelmed already. You want us to like create a brand around our analytics practice? You want us to actually go out and sell and market our services internally? You want us to think about how to productize what we do? You're crazy. <coughs> Excuse me. We simply don't have time to do that. But you don't have time not to do it. Like If we continue down this path, we're going to have all the time in the world because no one's going to be using our services. And In fact, I've seen when companies take this approach it actually frees up the team to be so much more efficient to provide so much more value with less time because there's this identity and sense to what they're doing um I, i just don't see any other way of doing it and being as successful as teams could be with without thinking of it as a business which with customers internally that have a choice
1: so here's a weird thought and you're talking about they being overwhelmed and not being able to do any of this. Change my mind here. Having a large backlog of work is not always a healthy thing.
0: No, no. And and oftentimes that large backlog of work, again, is due to a lack of productization, productization of what we offer. It's a lack of having an identity it's uh, you know the analytics team's being order takers and overwhelmed because that's one of the ones i was going to get to you know to, yeah. yeah i mean you're look, not you're
1: not valued as someone that could provide
0: no, you're, a, you know high level insights you're just seen as order takers and short order cooks that's right and that's unfortunate because analytics teams are so much more than that and i've seen it firsthand i've seen when critical people from those analytics teams leave organizations the entire structure fr- you know crumbles and falls apart you know they they are and should be so much more than order takers. But when we don't see ourselves as, as a business fulfilling a purpose, we're just taking orders from the business and not even thinking about it. It's, okay, and we end up with this huge backlog. Um, it has to be done. the 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 quality of the product we produce is less than optimal. Um, we're not valued. And and again, like I don't want to keep harping on this, but it's, it's a very real fact we, that when the pandemic hit, when financial crisis hits, we're not seen as valuable. And, and you know, that's not a good long-term survivability plan for analytics professionals. If they want a long career with you know, any organization, we have to be seen as critical, valuable, and we are. And I think the path to getting there is to start thinking like a business owner, start thinking like an entrepreneur within your organization. It's, it's game-changing.
1: Yeah. And, and the reason why I don't want to stop hyping, or, you know, start talking about and repeating what happened in 2020 is that we're four years away. We're, we're four years past that, and there are several teams I engage with that are never going back to the size that they were before. Yeah, They're going to be lucky to replace one or two people out of six that are no longer there um and it's because they are not valued the organization again like i'm actually taking to heart you actually gave me a couple ideas that i want to take to a couple clients about this whole idea of making the internal stakeholders feel like they are choosing to Mm -hmm. work with you not the oh god we got to work with them again or even if it's not a a a sigh of like oh god we got to work with them again it's well we have to loop them in like we have to bring them in it's no we want them here we need them here that's what you change it to
0: it, uh, yeah it, it is it's its I i don't want to use the term lightly but it literally changes the entire game uh it it, it really does um and it's so beneficial for everyone the organization the analytics team individuals with the team within the team um it just completely changes how things operate in such a positive positive way um i i had a thought i think i i lost it um but our goal, well, okay, let me, it came back. So, our, you know, our goal, as you meant, mentioned, like to have a choice, our goal should be to delight our customers. And again, coming at it from this IT perspective where they have no other choice, it's like, really? We want the DMV experience? No. We want to delight our customers. They have a choice. We want to make them happy. We want them to work with us. And it changes everything. You know, I, I, I recently posted on LinkedIn about, Um, This conversation I overheard um, about an optimization program where there were some stakeholders in the, the, the meeting. And there was two different groups fighting about Bayesian versus frequentist approach to running optimization. They were debating analytical terms and statistical models. And one of the stakeholders finally raised their hands like I don't have no idea what the hell you guys are talking about. Like, can you tell me what this means for our customers? If we saw those internal stakeholders as customers with a choice, would we really be debating, like, statistical models in front of them? Hell no, we wouldn't. Like, we'd be thinking about how to delight them and get them what they needed because they make them happy so they wouldn't want to work with us. But well, we don't. Let's go back to a good Steve Jobs example. Um,
1: the iPod. What was the tagline when they introduced it?
0: Something like a thousand songs or 10,000 songs in your pocket or something. a thousand like that. songs a thousand. in your pocket,
1: you know, to your point, like they weren't debating size and storage methodology and, uh, input output and this and that, and, you know, all of the, 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 the statistics about the device, because remember the iPod was not the first MP3 player on the market. Right. Um, It was, I mean, the MP3 market had been around for a while and, but all of them talked about like, oh, it's this size capacity. It's this, this is the tool you use to connect and everything like that. They were the first one that came out. And remember, they also limited their market at the time too. Yeah. It was only to Mac users Mm -hmm. and it was a thousand songs in your pocket. It, It talked about the delightful experience you would have to have your entire music catalog because- as a product of the 80s and 90s you like me probably had that big cd book in the passenger seat of your car when you were driving yeah like you know you flip through what album am i going to put in at the red light <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, yeah you know, what cd am i going to put in yeah uh you know that the big cd book um so yeah like that that is is it but then also too kind of taking it back to where we started with wanting to be, you know, having a bit of a desire to be an entrepreneur and have and one of the things with being an entrepreneur is actually there's two things with it. It's the one building a product or service that people want to buy. And in turn it delights them. But then also too, there's a level of control being able like you feel like you control your life, you control your work. You're the one making decisions on what you're doing when you get to that point of delighting your internal customers, you do reach a point where you can make decisions. Yeah. Yes, I'm going to work on this. No, I'm not going to work on this. And people are like, what, are you serious being able to say no to work? Um, you can. When you reach a point where you are so highly valued, like people have to justify your time involved in something. They, they, they just don't get free access to your time. So that is how you can kind of spread your wings a bit as an entrepreneur when you reach that point where you're highly valued and highly desired internally you do have a level of control of yes i will work on this because of this or no i cannot work on this because it doesn't it doesn't provide value to our clients it doesn't provide value to the organization it is a waste of my time and people will be yeah. okay with that i've seen like enterprise architects who work exactly like that you know it's outside of analytics but don't get me wrong it could be a bit of a dick at times but (laughs) they they do reach that point where they can choose
0: yeah no i i mean beautifully put and i think that it all starts with this mind mindset shift to running a business um and one of the most important things with running a business is having an identity a reason for existing you know why are people happy we exist um and and so many analytics organizations don't think about that again because they're the default choice it's we exist because the company needs data no like that takes away all that power you just talked about if we if we figure out what our identity is why we exist why our internal customers are happy we exist then it puts us in a massive position of power and again not to be jerks about it but to create something incredibly meaningful and to create incredibly positive experiences for customers, which is the opposite of what we see so often. I mean, I think we have it tagged on our website that you know, people are frustrated with their analytics experiences. They are. And, and a big reason of it is that we're, we, we operate as the default choice. If we flip that on its head and said, We're going to operate as a business with a reason for existing, to delight our internal customers that have a choice to use us or not. That frustration level goes down. It's not gonna be easy. Again, running a business is incredibly difficult. None of this is easy to do. I'm not pretending this is just a flip of the switch of, okay, we're gonna run like a business now. This is incredibly difficult to pull off, but I don't see any other way of doing it again to get the to true value out of what these analytics teams are able to provide operating like a business within these organizations is the path. Yeah. So I think let, let's end there.
1: Um, I think that's very well said. So I don't want to take anything away from it. So let's go ahead and wrap up there. Um, definitely. I think this was a great conversation. Um, definitely a lot of food for thought. And actually I did have a bit of an, uh, an aha moment about, a problem I am trying to solve And again Being able to position it
0: well Fantastic It's a Great conversation, love the yeah. topic
1: Yeah, and I was kind of curious where it was going to go With you know, the day before a holiday You know, maybe two hours of sleep last night And think Yeah, I think it went well And honestly, sometimes I think maybe I should Not sleep the night before a podcast <laughs> episode So I kind of get into this mode Ah, uh, love
0: it yeah
1: cool awesome well thank you much and uh let's wrap up there and talk to everyone later see ya see ya thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 tangents if you enjoyed what you heard please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us if you would like to reach us you can do so by emailing podcast at 33 sticks.com Or on the web at 33Tangents.33Sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics routine.